or, you know, and put that in the highlight reel, because <laughs> yeah, well, I know that was like the peak moment of your week, right? What happens in Alabama? You know what they say, Blake, <laughs> right? <laughs> we'll leave it there. Thank you, Connell. Enjoy the weekend. Right. Catch you next week. Hello and welcome here to The Hill on News Nation. So she was asked if it was okay for chants on her campus calling for the murder of Jews. She called it free expression. And now Harvard's president is apologizing. Coming up, we speak with one member of Congress who's a Harvard grad and is now demanding changes. Plus, luxury hotels, Lamborghinis, and escorts. Uncle Sam wasn't laughing, though. Serious charges against the son of the president of the United States. So what comes next for Hunter Biden? And with the help of the U.S. government, is Elon Musk's new frontier now the coldest place on Earth? Thanks for being with us here on The Hill today. I'm Blake Berman, joined by Denise Gitsum, a Republican strategist, Amisha Cross, Democratic strategist and former Obama campaign advisor, Mick Mulvaney, of course, the former White House chief of staff to Donald Trump, and a News Nation political and economic contributor as well, and Johanna Mosca, former Obama campaign official and News Nation contributor. The Hill on News Nation starts right now. tonight with the mea culpa in the Ivy League. The president of Harvard University now apologizing after an exchange with the Congresswoman Elise Stefanik from earlier this week during a hearing on anti-Semitism on college campuses. Claudine Gay was asked if calling for the murder of Jews violates the school's code of conduct. Is that speech according to the code of conduct or not? We embrace a commitment to free expression and give a wide berth to free expression, even of views that are objectionable. Now, as we begin this second night of Hanukkah and after a flood of criticism, Gay told the school newspaper, quote, I am sorry. Words matter. When words amplify distress and pain, I don't know how you could feel anything but great regret, end quote. There is also tonight growing pressure on the president of UPenn, who also attended that hearing, to step down. A high-profile donor has withdrawn a $100 million commitment to that university. Hello to you all. Good to be, uh, be with you here on a Friday. It's been quite the week, our News Nation debate. We hung out in Alabama with a couple of you. It was a lot of fun back in the studio. studio yeah, yeah we you two were here. Um, yeah, we were at, at Alabama. You're, a, uh, you're an alum of, of Harvard. And you see the school president say that. I don't know how she still has her job, Nick. Uh, let me put a different spin on it. Okay. I think I don't want to pile on what everybody else is saying, which is how terrible this is. And it is. I actually think this is going to be good in the long term. This how? has been going on for a long time against other groups. And schools have been looking the other way because those groups don't give money to the university. Okay? Now they've upset their donor base. The $100 million at Penn is going to make changes. The money that is not going to go to Harvard is going to make changes. You will see better free speech on college campuses going forward because it's finally gone too far and impacted the people that give them money, and money is what changes. The, the basic campuses. job of a university president is to raise money. Yep. Is it not? Like, if that's not one, that's 1A or, or 1B. This will make things better in the long run. All right. That, that's the sad state of our public, <laughs> our private education, our public education too, too often. And I think that stepping back, 
Right now, we have a problem in America, not only with anti-Semitism, but also we've got Islamophobia. We've got too many, you know, people who are going into their own tribes and not looking across, you know, and finding similarity, commonality with one another. And I want to see, you know, I, I saw the yes, no, answer yes, no question. And I find that ironic because politicians never answer a yes, no question. I mean, fair. But, it was also a great I, line of questioning, though, that but, elicited that response. But I want to know, what are they doing to bring together communities on college campuses and respect empower, include. And that's the biggest point here. Uh, the Education Trust, national advocacy nonprofit in education, focused in on campus racial climate. It was a report that they released probably a month ago, and it was um, probably a month and a half ago at this point. It was pointedly speaking to several surveys they did across uh, various universities and students of color, students from various religious backgrounds. They have said over and over again that they do not know where to report when conversations or uh, conflict is happening, where to report that level of violence or threat to them. They do not believe that staff is actually supporting them, in many cases the president's either. Um, they also have been voicing in advocacy that they need they need to do more. They need to do more to feel like they belong on these campuses, like they're supported. It's not enough to just have um, a an area to themselves, essentially, right. because we know that there are those that are hoisted on campuses. But I think that with what is going on in Israel right now, it is amplified what many students have been saying for a very long time and have really been trying to cue in a lot of our university presidents on for a while. The difference is that this is the... the for some reason, the Jewish people continue to be the exception to the rule that everyone wants for everything, everyone else. It seems like, for some reason, Jewish people are carved out of what applies to everyone else, or at least we all agree should apply to every other ethnic and racial group. And so I hope that things get so much worse for these university presidents. They're not going to get better until these people, you cannot walk back words like the words that were said there that were so harmful to them. And just like during Black Lives Matter, where we said, you know, it's true that, yes, all lives matter. But at this moment, Black Lives Matter, that's the issue that we're dealing with now. I think we need to stay laser focus on addressing the issue at hand, which is that right now, the Jewish people are coming under attack like never before. No, we are, but we're, we're all saying, also saying that Jewish yeah. students have been under attack before. Many of these, yeah. many of Jewish students yes. were also elevating these voices last year, the year prior, yeah. the past yes. 10 years yeah, on these campuses. It's, it's it's no, no, that's true, but yeah. if they had changed and made those things aware, if they had made changes in policy and in recommendations at that time, then we would have seen a diminishment. Not that everything would go away. I still think there would be some people who went outside of the norm, but we would see college and university presidents not having the trouble they are now. What happened was they did not change any I mean, of their that, policies. That they didn't listen to from, the students. From the universities was so... They give you bad. a different perspective from a different one of my schools, sure. right? Georgetown University. There was an effort to kick the traditional marriage club off of campus a couple years back as a hate group for preaching hate speech at a Catholic university over a traditional marriage between one man and one woman. This is the same university that still allows the students for Palestine. So this is going to change now that they've gotten to the heart of the matter, which is the money. But so Amisha, Amisha has a point here, and that is that there has been hate on college campuses for a long time. And I think stepping back, what are we going to do to try to figure out how to get people out of that hateful ideology? And I think it's interesting, Derek Black, who's the godson of David Duke, the former KKK, uh, grand wizard, he went to college, and when people found out he was the godson and he said awful things, they did not ban him from the group. They accepted him, and then they tried to change his ideology, and they did. You wanted yes-no answers? I'm only going to give you a yes or no. You can only answer yes or no around the table. Real, I didn't want to. Real, real quick, they need to resign yes or no. 
over just this? Yes or no? I'll let you think, I didn't, Nick. I didn't want yes, yeah. no. Yeah, Amisha? No. Bad for business. Yeah. Hell yes. Hell yes, she gave you two, <laughs> I'll give you two. I, I, I Blake, the, the interesting thing, right, is... You like, wanted yes or no, no questions and answers. I didn't, that's what I said. Politicians never give yes or no questions, and the reason why is it's normally okay. more gray than it is sure. just a stark answer. All right, well, with us now is the Congresswoman from the state of North Carolina, Kathy Manning. She, by the way, is the co-chair of the Bipartisan Task Force for Combating Anti-Semitism. She is also a graduate, like Mick, of Harvard University. She's also the former chair of the Jewish Federations of America. Congresswoman, good to have you back here uh, on the show. It feels like we're talking to you uh, every, every week or every other week now. Um, you've been listening into this. I, I'm sure I know that you saw the uh, mea culpa from the head of Harvard. Does she need to go? Fortunately, it's not my job to decide whether she needs to stay or go. It is the job of the Board of Trustees of Harvard University. And what we did... What would you advise them? I would advise them, number one, they need to understand what's really going on on their campus. And they need to understand why the president was not able to just say that calling for the genocide of the Jewish people is wrong and it violates their code of conduct. If it does not violate their code of conduct, then they need to take another look at it. By the way, even if it doesn't violate the code of conduct, they are bound by Title VI of the Civil Rights Act. And Title VI of the Civil Rights Act requires schools not to discriminate or allow discrimination or a hostile atmosphere against students based on ethnicity or national origin. There are also criminal statutes that they ought to be looking at. So I think the Board of Trustees has to do its own evaluation and investigation. They also need to find out why did she answer. She's not the only one. All three of them answered that same question with, uh, with hesitation, with evasion, talking about context. There is no context in which calling for the genocide of the Jewish people is acceptable. The other thing I want to raise is it wasn't just that one question. It's what has been tolerated on college campuses for years, as your panel discussed, and more recently, since October 7th, there have been calls to globalize the intifada. I hope those students don't understand what an intifada is. An intifada in Israel was years of bus bombings and restaurant bombings and killing of civilians by terrorists. If that's what those students understand they're calling for, we have a much bigger problem. I'm hoping that there will be an intervention. Congresswoman, yes, you wrote a letter today uh, with, with several of your other colleagues to the boards of the, the three university heads that, that testified up on the Hill, Harvard, UPenn, MIT. And here's part of what you wrote in that letter to the board. You said, quote, if, if calls for genocide of the Jewish people are not in violation of your university's policies, then it is time for you to reexamine your policies and codes of conduct. I understand that is your position. You are a member of Congress, as you know. Is there anything that Congress can do here? Or is it simply hands off because these are private universities and they'll do what they want? We have been doing a variety of things. As you said, I chair the the House Bipartisan Task Force to Combat Anti-Semitism. I have been meeting with the head of the Office of Civil Rights in the Department of Education to make sure that she is doing what is necessary to evaluate whether there are problems on our university campuses. I know that there have been claims filed against, I believe, Harvard, Penn, MIT, a claim was just filed against University of North Carolina, those those claims need to be investigated. 
All right. I, I got to run, but I want to ask you before we do, as you know, one of the debates here in Washington, Congresswoman, is, is getting an aid package to Israel. But it's probably not just going to be a, a solo aid package to Israel. This could get tied in with uh, aid for Ukraine and, and border funding as well. And the, the pill to swallow for Democrats is how far are they willing to move as it relates to policies that they don't like on the border, especially when it comes to asylum? What would you be willing to accept, Congresswoman, on that front to assure well, that aid gets to Israel? Let me just say aid to Israel and aid to Ukraine is absolutely critical. Both of those democracies need to be able to defend themselves against one against autocrat Putin, the other against the Hamas terrorists. We do have a border problem. We do need to control our borders. That's why I'm one of the original co-sponsors of the Dignity Act, a comprehensive immigration bill that would both address issues at the border. It would require us to speed up the asylum process by having many more immigration judges. It would also modernize our immigration system, which has been broken for years. All right, uh, Congresswoman, it's, it's you know part of the debate back and forth here in Washington. Uh, we got to leave it there with you, but we'll pick it up here. Congresswoman, thanks for the time. Appreciate it. Thank you. All right. So one week from today, Congress is set to break for the holidays. And And after nearly two years of war with Russia, American aid to Ukraine is in jeopardy of ending, as we just talked about. Republicans in Congress say they will not support the president's request to replenish Ukraine's war chest without new border security measures. Here was the president earlier this week. Congress needs to pass supplemental funding for Ukraine before they break for the holiday resources. It's as simple as that. Bottom line is we're urging the president to get involved and fix this problem. Senator Murphy's a fine fellow, but it's never going to happen as long as Senator Schumer is in charge of these negotiations. You're laughing. Why do you know. look Wait. back? <laughs> what, what was he like? What's the, what's the way out here? It's just Lindsay. Look, they have, to re, re, they have to relearn how to compromise. What you heard from the Biden White House is saying, look, we want what we want, so give it to us. That's not how the town works, especially when another party's in, in charge of the House. But and Republicans are saying the same thing close to it when it comes to the border. This is, but this is how it's supposed to work. The House passed a bill, right, that funded, I think it was Israel and Ukraine, right? And it paid for it in a way that the Democrats don't like, and I get that. The House is supposed to pass a bill, then the Senate's supposed to pass something that's similar, and then it's supposed to negotiate. They're not supposed to have press conferences and yell at each other the whole time. If this is, if this is, if this is what the future holds, none of it is going to pass before the end of the year. But you call, you've called this before must-pass. Uh, the, the Israeli support is must pass. That's the only one I think. I think here's what would happen. If you brought them up as individual bills, the border deal would fail, Ukraine would fail, Taiwan would fail, and Israel would pass. And the reason they're not coming up individually is that people want more than just one. But Mick, you are a fiscal hawk. You've always been a fiscal hawk. And mm-hmm. both of us know, because of Article 5, if this war does not start stop in Ukraine, it is going to be far more expensive. So I don't understand why we would not support Ukraine now so that we don't have that expense of having to get involved with our own military. Uh, I, I, I do support paying for it. There's no question about it. I, I'm fine with paying for it with the IRS funding. I'm fine for paying for it another way. I think one of the reasons we're so heavily in debt is we don't pay for stuff. 
But I don't know if that's the strongest argument, because I think I can make the exact opposite argument, that the more money we spend, the more desperate Russia is going to get. They invade Poland and draw us into the war. So I think you can see it both ways. What? If, if you're, you're making the argument that it's cheaper the to do it this defense, way. Folks in defense are arguing that we're weakening Russia in Ukraine. And mm-hmm. so it doesn't make sense to me when we've got fiscal hawks saying we want to just wait and spend more. Um, I mean, You've so, already but, got Ukrainian soldiers being draft dodgers at this point. You have a situation where... Um, without more support, without heightened levels of support, um, the democracy there is bound to tumble. And my biggest fear is that we will also see Russia do what they've always planned. So let me ask you, I'll ask you the same question I asked the congresswoman. What asylum changes are you willing to endorse in order for there to be a deal? None of the extreme ones that we've seen be put forth by the Republicans. And that's the, that's the I think that there are some that are notable. And I'm not They're putting this on you, but, but just for the <laughs> that audience, that's point. kind of what you're going to yeah. hear from Democrats and Republicans. Right. Well, that's your point. But the problem is, Republicans are on the right side of immigration right now, according to all the polls. And so I think she we all have opposite. an issue. Yeah. <laughs> no, they're they're on well, the right side the of their voters, so they are utilizing issue, this to the do. The third it. most important issue for all American voters right now is immigration. Point blank, Republican or Democrat. And I'm so, from Chicago. I personally fundamentally from, understand what is happening I understand with, actually with the literally <laughs> the, the busloads of people who have yeah, been no, sent I to my city and what the crisis the is there. Border, so there are a lot of people patrol. who are wanting to have more, more security at the border. However, those same people are not arguing for the extreme policies that we're seeing come from the far right. I last, think what you're hearing, word. though, is, is exactly why Congress is at impasse. That's the headline right here, right? right? It's what happened to the days when we could all talk about things that could be on the table? What are the possibilities that we might be able to move forward on. I think a lot of Republicans are willing to fund Ukraine if they know what's at stake. What are the accountability measures that are in place? And I think that's a reasonable thing to ask of anyone on any side of the But Denise, right. you know that it's going to open up the entire negotiation because you need to, before you make a but line to get on a bus, you got to know how you, what the rules are to get yeah. on the bus. Isn't it worth And we it? don't have it. I agree. We should yeah. do it. Now is the time. Off are camera. they going to do it? Part of the conversation <laughs> that we hear in Washington. Uh, by the way, something new to check out. We just launched it this week. Decision Desk 24. Blake Berman, me. Uh, campaign views. If you want a slice of the show in your inbox, subscribe. You see that QR code there I on the top the of your rumor screen? There were thousands of people who signed up. Thousands <laughs> of people <laughs> who signed up for this thing. Yes. It was popular. It was a big hit, Mick. I, I, listen, I've signed you, up for it. You were in it, did you? <laughs> did you like it? We got to snap that QR code But a slice of the show, some of what you get here into your inbox. If you want it, get it. It's fun. And it's great. We'll be having it every week. All right, coming up. They call him the madman. But is he also the Argentinian version of Donald Trump? (laughs) Oh, my God. Conservatives are cheering him on as he is set to be inaugurated this weekend. So why all the love, we'll explain. And why all the hate directed toward Matt Gates? Now there are talks of lawmakers wanting to kick him out of office. So is there something to it? Or is this nothing more than kind of like middle school chatter and clicks? It's a Friday afternoon here in Washington. Actually, a uh, pretty gorgeous day. Look at that for the beginning of December. The Hill on News Nation. Back with that and more. Stay with us. All right, welcome back here to The Hill on News Nation. So, has Argentina found its own version, essentially, of Donald Trump? The president elect, Javier Malay, won a runoff election. Last month, and he is now finding himself being embraced by conservatives in America, from Ben Shapiro to Elon Musk uh, and more Republicans in the House of Representatives as well. Uh, conservatives are rallying behind Latin America's newest head of state. He gets inaugurated tomorrow. 
Even Donald Trump himself has commented on the populist leader. In Argentina, as you know, you saw what happened. He ran. He ran as Trump. It was Trump. Make Argentina great again. It was perfect. MAGA. He had a MAGA agenda because it's a conservative agenda. Guy. <laughs> you need to tell the president the difference between English and Spanish. <laughs> He's an entertainer. Well, RDA yeah, is the same, just not. Wrapping <laughs> your arms around like a wily foreign leader is a very tricky thing, and you mm. often find yourself, you know, on the wrong side. I, I, having done summits and traveled the world, I actually encountered Muammar Gaddafi and mm. Hugo Chavez and all of these terrible leaders. And I even remember at one point. By the way, we're Obama, not saying he's that. No, <laughs> but you never know what to expect. Right. But no, the we were. I remember we were debating whether to have President Obama do a sit-down interview with Sarkozy before the election against Hollande. And we decided to do that interview. And of course, he lost. And then we had to work with Hollande. And it's not always the best idea on foreign policy for a U.S. leader to wrap their arms around one leader. I mean, Malay does have some caricatures, even in terms of the, the, the wily look at times when he gets upset, of former President Donald Trump. I think that he, like Trump, took advantage of a population that was going through economic strife. Um, poverty drives people to make decisions they probably otherwise wouldn't make. Um, people who had a distrust of government already. And he utilized those tactics to basically rally a base to vote for him. His campaign looked very similar in many ways, not only to Donald Trump's, but the rise of, of other dictators across the globe as well. Um, I, I think that oh, that, sorry, that matters. Trump, is that being Trump a dictator? It makes him dictator-esque. Okay. Uh, <laughs> there's, there's a mirror. Right, like, waiting for, like, for one of you two to get in there. Uh, it's something to what she's saying or no? Denise. Oh, I, look, like, I think this is more geopolitical, like, reality, which is the enemy of my enemy is my friend. This guy mm. is, like, the only semi-friendly, like, US, of course he's, Trump is going to make this about him. Of course it's going to be. By the way, we, we should, guy is a little mini we should right? note not only are, you know, Republicans trying to wrap their arms around him. Clinton. He had dinner with Bill Clinton. Yeah. Like, he was in New York yeah. having dinner with Bill Clinton. So I guess it goes to, to both sides. <laughs> By the way, Vladimir Zelensky is going to the inauguration. The translation, by the way, would be Hagoff, not Maga. Maga Argentina Grande. Thank you, Mick. You're welcome. Thank you, Mick. All right, now you could say that Congress sometimes acts like a bunch of middle schoolers arguing over nonsense, late on assignments. We even saw a member of the Senate last month threaten to beat up a witness at a hearing. But how about this headline right here about the Florida Congressman Matt Gates? Quote, he is hated. House Republicans secretly consider expelling Matt Gates after booting George Santos. Now, it comes after the House expelled Santos, and the House Ethics Committee continues its investigation into Gates' conduct. Republicans don't like him, but I think there's a big step from we don't like him to expelling him. That's Absolutely. the job. Tell me about the White well, House so Christmas dinner. It's, yeah, well, the headline is not that shocking. Everyone hates him. Everyone knew that. So... <laughs> I was just at the White House Congressional Ball on Monday night. Okay. And, you know, I'm just curiously watching as a non-member. I'm looking, meeting all these people. And the only guy who was standing alone all night long was Matt Gates with whoever he brought. Like, literally, everyone was getting along with everyone. Everyone was like, you know, we're having eggnog and spiked. It's fine. 
Nobody was no, but no amount of eggnogging could get over the hatred of bad gays. So I'm, I'm not, I'm not calling you mean girl here, but, I'm not, it's but, fact that's, girl. but that's, but that's factual. Girl. No, <laughs> no, you're just reporting. You're reporting what you live from the White House. You're reporting what you said, what you saw. But but does it go to the thing like he's not in the click, right? So like it goes from that to booting him out. Nick. He's also substantively blown up so much of what they were trying to get done. We have to realize that he has made it a lot harder in some senses for Republicans. Um, he has become a laughingstock in many ways. He's also somebody who, uh, love him or hate him, McCarthy tried to come through with a deal that would have prevented the government from shutting down. Um, going through that process and then watching him get removed anyway, um, on top of all of the efforts, what were we at double digits, 12, however many votes, rounds it took for him to get Just in 12. in the first place. Um, <laughs> that was Matt Gates. Like, I, people are upset for good reason. There's no yeah. way they're going to kick him out. Um, right. Even no, if the ethics yeah. thing, thing came back really, really bad, there's just not the votes to kick him out. They hate him. That's right. They, they, they probably, he probably earned their hatred, but they're not going to kick him out. And even if they did, Blake, it would probably just help him. Keep in mind, you only kick somebody out short term. They could still run right. again. George Santos can run again. He's not going to. He threatened to originally. But if they kicked Matt Gates out, he would take it as a badge of honor, use it to raise a bunch of money, run again, and win again, and then you'd be back for here in this cycle. For whatever reason, he is a swamp creature. I mean, he is a family. His family business is politics. His dad was in elected office and is running again. And for whatever reason, the only people who seem to love Matt Gates is the press. Every time he walks down those stairs, the well, press just fact, goes you, to him. The people in Northwest Florida love him. Oh, so that was, that's right where I was going. Do you think he's going to run for governor of Florida or no? Um, the, 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 the rumor was originally he was going to run for president in 2024. Not making 2024. Yes. But before, <laughs> okay, when they thought Donald Trump was going to win in 2020, that there was a lot of chatter in Florida that Matt Gates was talking about running for president in 2024. So again, is he insane? Nah, maybe. <laughs> anyway, um, there is chatter about him running for Senate against uh, Marco, running for governor because... Uh, hmm. uh, DeSantis is term limited. Again, that's a long way well, off. He has our a 21% approval rating across Florida. I just saw it this morning. So there's, mm. I mean, you can run all you want, but you're not going to win. Right. There's a lot of people who want him to run for governor and lose so that he's out of politics <laughs> in both the state wow. at the yes, same time. All right. Great. Well, coming up, uh, he spent nearly a million bucks on adult entertainment and quote unquote various women. As prosecutors <laughs> say, he was stiffing Uncle Sam. Now, the son of the president of the United States is facing some serious charges. But would Hunter be prosecuted if his last name wasn't Biden? Mick, by the way, says we've heard that before. Jesse Weber also joins us after the break. Plus, is politics now being put over public health? Why the Biden administration just punted a decision on menthol-flavored cigarettes and how you might be able to draw a straight line between that issue right there and the upcoming presidential election. The Hill on News Nation back in a few. I see his name. It goes right through my head. Uh, all right. Hunter Biden's attorneys are vowing to fight the new nine count indictment against the president's son, charging him with failing to pay one point four million dollars in federal taxes. Special counsel David Weiss says Hunter Biden actually had plenty of money to pay the taxes, earning $7 million in income between 2016 and 2020. Instead, they say Hunter Biden lived what the Justice Department calls a, a quote, extravagant lifestyle. Hmm. Prosecutors allege he used business funds for, quote, payments for various women, end quote, more than $680,000, and quote, clothing and accessories, nearly $400,000, and of course, quote, unquote, Adult entertainment to the tune of nearly 200 
grand. How much adult entertainment do you need if you've got <laughs> 600 grand worth of various women? Don't know, Mick. Not sure. Joining us now to discuss the charges, News Nation legal contributor Jesse Weber. Uh, I hope that's not the hi, first Jesse. question. <laughs> yeah, um, I'm not going to ask you that. Um, so the charges. How serious is this? Serious. Stakes have been raised, certainly. I mean, you're talking about something. These cases are, first of all, relatively straightforward to prove. But there's a difference between not paying your taxes, which is he's charged with, and then willfully evading your taxes. He's also accused of filing false tax returns, lying to accountants. So when you think about it, you know, they always talk about would he have been charged if he wasn't Hunter Biden. I, part of me thinks he wouldn't have been. But also, I think hmm. the deal that he was offered, right, the deal that he was offered to two misdemeanors out in Delaware when prosecutors knew they had these much more serious charges in California. Yeah. It makes you wonder, was that deal offered? The, maybe I don't want to say sweetheart deal, but because he's Hunter mm -hmm. Biden. Because this is very, so, very serious from what he was facing. So here's Abby Lowell, uh, the attorney for Hunter Biden. And you just referenced it. He said, quote, if Hunter's last name were anything other than Biden, the charges in Delaware and now California would not have been brought. Expand upon what you yeah. say. What, what do you think and, and, and elaborate? I got to tell you, it, it's the same thing that we talk about with Donald Trump, right? You know, was it brought for political reasons? It doesn't take away from the fact, is this illegal conduct and can it be proven in a court of law? Nothing will change that, whether or not it would be prosecuted or not. These allegations, if you take all the facts as true, is criminal conduct. And it actually puts Abby Lowell in a diff difficult position to try to defend it. I think the best way you defend it, and it's actually an interesting argument, is saying that the prior plea deal, the original plea deal that blew up, that was signed by a prosecutor. There were immunity provisions in that. So if he can convince a judge that these charges should never have been brought, I think that's the best way you go about defending it, because otherwise you're trying to hmm. work through the weeds of what these expenses are and what these uh, numbers are, and that could be really, really difficult. Got it. Mick? Um, you know, I, I'm looking at this and, and from a little bit of a different perspective, just pure politics, because we don't know, right? The indictment is going to look really, really bad because it's an indictment, right? And they, he's innocent until proven guilty. I get all of that. It's Abby Lowell's vocabulary that struck me. Yeah, and, and, and Jesse just yeah. kind of yeah, hinted exactly. at that, too. Exactly. This is exactly Donald Trump's language. It, huh. It's completely co uh, sort of contemplatable. There's, there are swing voters out there going, wait a second. The DOJ might be going after Trump because his name is Trump. They might be going after Biden because his name is Biden. I don't like the DOJ going after anybody because of what their last name is. That actually helps Donald Trump in a roundabout way politically. Jesse, I was wondering, you know, I'm an attorney, not a great one. I'm a recovering attorney, <laughs> just to be clear. But you're a real one, and um, you play one on TV. And I'm just wondering, what do you think about the Abby Lowell situation, just in terms of overplaying his hand? Because what I see is two problems for Hunter and the Bidens at large, which is one's the political problem that Mick and I, Mick was just alluding to, of, and also just the numbers are just super bad, right? Like, most Americans can't imagine spending $640,000 on clothes or any of the other things. But do you think Abby Lowell is actually overplaying his hand and getting him in more trouble than he's helping him? I don't necessarily think so. I think he's being quite aggressive, right? I mean, they're filing mm -hmm. lawsuits against different people. And when you're dealing with such a public figure, when your father is the president of the United States, you're not only fighting this in a potential court of law, you're fighting in the court of public opinion with the election around the corner. I think that definitely comes into play. And the more that you can say that this is politically motivated, the more you might put pressure, or, or maybe even I'll suggest this, you know, the idea of his father, 
father pardoning him for this. The more you can create the narrative that this, these charges should have never been brought, it's politically motivated. If Biden decides to pardon his son, people might be, that might be a pill that people will be able to swallow. So the more Abby Lowell brings this up, the more it might make sense down the road. Not saying it'll happen, but it's something that I thought about. Hmm. I do not think that he should be pardoned. If he no, I'm not saying he should or shouldn't, but, you know. It, it, and it's not just language, right, Jesse? You know who also has this very unfortunate habit of paying off women is former President Donald Trump. Um, you know, and, and we are seeing this over and over. I, I think everybody should pay their taxes, and everyone should, you know, stop paying for sex. But unfortunately, <laughs> we're in this situation well, continued. Let, let, let's just expand about it. It's not only that he paid off the women, he said they were on his payroll. So I think that's where it goes a little <laughs> bit beyond as well. I mean, these are, this is a case that's been built quite up by David Weiss, and he wouldn't have gone after uh, Hunter Biden unless he thinks he can win. Mm. All right. Jesse Weber, uh, you came out of that unscathed. <laughs> I feel <laughs> great. Thank I feel you, great. <laughs> Thanks, guys. All right. Ha- have a great weekend. See you. All right. So the Biden administration is uh, holding off on plans to ban menthol cigarettes after lobbying efforts from civil rights group, groups. Rather, The proposal is sparking concerns from critics about aggressive police tactics in enforcing a potential ban and targeting black voters who favor menthol cigarettes by 85 percent. You see the numbers there. Now, the debate on menthol comes as the president gears up for his reelection campaign with concerns about low turnout among black voters. According to a recent NBC poll, 25% of black voters would consider voting for Donald Trump today. That is a big deal because that number was 12%, so it's basically 2x uh, from where it was in 2020. The bottom line here is, is this being punted a health issue because of political purposes. Mm. I, yes. Amisha and, and I, is 100%. Yes. Amisha and I were, were talking about this in the break, and Amisha said to me, I might give you a different take than you were expecting from yeah, me. So, so what? Go. Uh, my grandfather died um, of cancer based on smoking menthol cigarettes. Um, there are thousands of black men and women who have died over the past three, four decades that are legitimately linked to menthol cigarette smoking. I think that we have to be very strategic in how we talk about this in terms of its health risks that are excessive for anyone. But because black people use these cigarettes more than anybody else, the effects are even greater for that population. Um, what I've seen, and I've gotten calls from various elected officials in addition to um, in, in addition to the people who work for them, who represent black caucus members at the federal level as well as at the city and the state level to speak in in a positive position here. They will not hear it from me as someone who was personally affected and who lost someone on, on with this issue. But in addition to that, I think that we, there are two things here that are right at the same time. On the one hand, for the people who are against this, uh, who are saying that this would impact the black community and increase policing, they are 100 percent correct. Um, quite frankly, because they're sold more and they're distributed more and they're received more by black people than anybody else. The black community is already over-policed. You will never catch me or any other black person saying, hey, we need more cops <laughs> in our communities. We need to lock people up. We need, you know, we, we need to over-criminalize. However, I also feel as though there is a legitimate health case here. And if there isn't some federal restriction associated yeah. with it, our community will continue to suffer and people will continue to die. I I said to Mick during the break when I was at the White House, I remember this being the issue that 
folks were pinging my cell phone with more than any other issue. And the Trump administration punted this issue as well, too. It's not just it's not just Joe Biden punting it. So it was Donald it. Trump who did, did the same. This is how it works. This is an initiative within the FDA. They've wanted to ban these for a long time. So they came to us and said, look, it's a part of our agenda inside the government to ban these things. And we got a lot of pushback, not only from the African-American community, but from the, politi- the Republican politicians who were up for election in 2020. Mm. It's a big deal in North Carolina, for example. It's a yeah. lot of political pressure not to ban these things. If you go back to that graphic for a second, by the way, on uh, Trump in 2024, you look at the, at the graphic on Trump in 2020, the 12% that he did in 2020 was more, I think, at least twice and maybe three times yeah. what Mitt Romney did in 2012. It was like in the low single digits exactly. for Republicans. So, so to see 20. pretty good support within yeah. the African-American community. We knew it and we were listening mm. to them. It was one of the reasons we didn't make the change. By the but way, I, yeah. by the way, um, the Obama administration solicited comments for potential uh, regulation of menthol cigarettes yeah. in 2013. Wow. Look, Ten years later, we're still talking about it real Any quick. politician, this is why people hate politics so much. Any politician that cares more about their poll numbers and how some little issue, which is big in the African-American community, but really is so minor compared to so many other pressing issues about the welfare of Americans, that cares more about doing this to figure out what's going on, it doesn't deserve to be in office. We are mm-hmm. still a representative government. And if the no, people back home don't want something to be illegal, mm-hmm. it's not wrong for a politician. You know what? Sometimes you need a lot more moral clarity and courage than what I'm seeing right now on either side of the aisle. Mm-hmm. Uh, two Republicans arguing this out goes to show you it's a it's a it's a I'm tricky for the and people, tough issue. Not the politicians. All right. uh, well, coming up, is the American dream just that a dream? Some lawmakers now want to help by kicking Wall Street out of Main Street. But how about this question? Think about this for a second. Should we start banning companies from buying up homes? That's next. Coming up here on the Hill. All right, welcome back to The Hill here on News Nation. So could there be another frontier conquered by Elon Musk? Now, SpaceX's Starlink satellite service uh, successfully completed a series of U.S. military tests in the Arctic. That could pave the way potentially for new military contracts. Now, the outcome of the testing, Starlink was found to be a, quote, reliable and high-performance communication system in the Arctic. Now, why might you potentially care about this? Well, the U.S. is vying for influence in that region so that they can compete with Russia and China, Johanna. Look, of all of Elon's companies, I find Starlink to be the most interesting. 100% agree. It provides such critical infrastructure for us, but when we pay for it, we need to be able to regulate it. And that is one thing that I want to see very strong contracts there because he had too much control when he was controlling Ukrainians communications infrastructure during the war. If we talk about regulations here in the U.S., how do you regulate stuff in the Arctic? Uh, (laughs) I mean, (laughs) you have the power. The power rests with Congress, as dysfunctional as they may be. All right, so how about this question, a different one. Should we ban companies from buying homes? In this case, the companies are hedge funds. Now, some Democratic lawmakers are trying to do just that, introducing a new bill that would ban institutional investors from buying and owning single-family homes in the U.S. For some context, a recent study by MetLife Investment Management found that by 2030, so in some seven years, institutional investors could control 40% of single-family rental homes. This is part of your your family business, generational, Mick. I started politics talking about property rights. Housing is too expensive. Do you know why? Mm -hmm. Because we don't build enough. 
That's it. That's the bottom line. California has been underperforming by more than a million units a year for the last 20 years. We simply don't build enough houses. Why? Because folks move into a neighborhood. They love it. They don't want it to change. They go down to their local town council and say, don't let anybody else move in here. It happens in every single town called NIMBYism, not in my backyard. And I'm not sure the federal government changes it because it's a local issue. If you want housing to be cheaper, though, just build more housing. The tax structure, however, has also contributed to this. In many cases in California, people who have empty uh, real estate, they're getting a loss for that on their taxes. And so there's an incentive to not have it occupied by someone who needs that house. Okay, but, you, I, but losses only is, get offset against gain and you don't have any gain. this is the problem. So when you have all these hedge funds buying up all of this critical housing, I have a big problem with that. But those hedge funds are companies, need, right? Are. So it goes back to the question, are you cool with telling companies you can't buy homes? Well, I think that single-family homes need to be protected. We, we need to have more protection for our communities to have access to those homes. We you, used you to. More houses are going to be to, built when there's more buyers. But we, we well, used there, to there are give. a lot of people who are in the market and are trying to buy. Housing affordability, I agree with you, is one of the, the biggest concerns. And we hear that from coast to coast and all the way down the middle. Uh, I, I think that this is a problem. Uh, the, the private sector does. There has to be regulation here. One, because I don't think that we're building to the extent that people actually need homes. Um, we were not building fast enough to meet the need of families across this country. In addition to that, they're not able to afford the homes that are already there and they're getting priced out. A lot of that is because of um, utilizing multiple spaces for business growth rather than home ownership. The other part of that is because of what we just saw, because of what we were talking about here. Last word real quick. I mean, I think J.D. Vance was saying the exact same things that the Democrats are saying. This is a populist cry. I think what mm. matters is getting to the bottom of what's really causing this at a systemic level. But for a lot of those institutional investors, we would not have a Detroit because only those kinds of organizations can help a Phoenix rise. All right. Well, coming up before we go, it is one of the biggest traditions in all of college football. It's happening tomorrow. But this time, there is a first in the contest between Army and Navy. Final thoughts from the panel right after the break. A News Nation exclusive. Todd Chrisley speaks out for the first time from behind bars. A riches to rag story. The reality TV star reveals the prison's shocking conditions and his hopes for an early release. Cuomo tonight, only on News Nation. All right, so before we say goodbye, here is a story that caught our eye. The Army-Navy game. It is the nation's uh, oldest service academies, of course. They are battling it out on the football field this weekend, as they have done every single year for just about the last 124 years or so. The game, though, this time, it's normally held in either, uh, in either Baltimore or Philly. Not this weekend. Some history being made as it will be played in Gillette Stadium, Foxborough, Massachusetts. I have never been to this thing. I have always wanted to go to it. I was shocked, Mick. I, I, to hear you say you've never been to it, too. Never been. Because the president, it's 10 the sitting has, presidents have yeah. gone. President often yeah. goes, I wonder if Biden's going to go this week. I wonder what the yeah. weather's going to be like in Baltimore. It's a tremendous tradition. There's no question. It's, even if you don't watch college football, you should yeah. watch the, the pregame for this. It is a, it's a piece of Americana that uh, so, is really special. I heard that these tickets are going faster than Taylor Swift concerts. And my question <laughs> They're expensive. Is, is Taylor Swift going to be there? Yeah. I, don't, I don't know if Taylor Swift's going to be she there. But should. Every single time I've she wanted to, to go to one of these games, the tickets are, are expensive. And rightfully so. The service got him. Isn't, you know, the, Let me ask you a quick question yeah. before we go. Didn't I hear you on the radio this week? You did? Ooh, Mick, how about that? Because after this show, 6 o'clock Eastern, Sirius XM, Channel 124, <laughs> The Hill.